Welcome, everyone, to The Eight. My name is Father Nathaniel. We are wrapping up a series titled Heart and Tongue, um, which I'll kind of explain in a little bit. But as we've been saying throughout this series, we have all, unfortunately, we have this thing in common that we've all said or done something. We have said something, mostly. We have said something in which we look back and we regret saying it. We, re- like we you know, Someone says, well, you said this. When you say, well, I didn't mean to say it that way. That's not what I meant. It just came out wrong. But the damage is done. We have been hurt. We have hurt other people by the words which we have said. But they're not just words. The sad reality is it's something that's already embedded within us. It's already sitting inside of us. And it's just only a matter of time until you put pressure on it until it comes out. So it's the sad reality in which we have all have experienced. And this is what's driving this series. In the words of King Solomon, one of the wisest people on planet Earth, he said this around the year 1000 BC. He says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. So he gives us this universal proverb, this word of wisdom, which we can all relate to. He says, he didn't say, watch your mouth. He says, guard your heart. Because everything you do, every life decision, how you manage your finances, how you approach relationships, how you look at yourself, all of that flows from what is already settled within your heart. The honest truth of why I wanted to label this series Heart and Tongue, because one of my favorite hymns of the church is a hymn that we sing during the Christmas season. It's titled, My Heart and My Tongue. And the words of the hymn is this, My heart and my tongue praise the Holy Trinity. Have mercy upon us. And, and I love the music to the hymn. I, I, I love it. It's, it's just dear to my heart. But if you really think about it, if you look at the wisdom of this ancient hymn, if you look at ancient Christianity, the church is intentional of putting in front of us a hymn. And it doesn't say my tongue and my heart. No, my heart, what's settled in my heart, is wanting to naturally express and let it come out in music and in hymn and me praising the Holy Trinity. And we're, we're connecting with God. We're worshiping God through this ancient hymn. All of liturgical worship is musical because we get this just from human experience music has a deep impact on our being music has a deep impact we don't come and just read text and call it a day but when you add music musical notation to any text it elevates the impact in the words of an early christian church father by the name of saint augustine saint augustine says to sing is to pray twice to sing is to pray twice. So he's kind of highlighting the power of music in our life, and this is why hymnology is a big part of Christianity, and especially ancient Christianity. So as a recap over the past two series, it's totally fine if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about this your first time. It's, you're totally fine. This is still kind of a standalone thing. But if we look back at the last two weeks, the first week I talked about for us to hear ourselves. Hear how you word that thing. Hear yourself of, of why you sent the email that way or you sent that text that way. What, what you, you, You're trying to, you have this ulterior motive behind it. You, you're trying to be snarky. We're trying to like, you know, beat around the bush. Like hear yourself, watch yourself. Assess why did you word it that way? What are you really trying to say if you're trying to read in between the lines? So for us to pause and hear ourselves, because this can give us a small snapshot, snapshot of what is already in our heart. So week one is for us to hear ourselves. And then last week we talked about what are you passionate about? What drives you? Because if you and I assess what we're passionate about, then we're able to also have an idea of what's already in our heart. 
So follow the money, right? I mean, see where your cash goes. Follow, assess who do you follow on social media. Pay attention to what podcasts and YouTube channels you watch or you listen. All of that gives you a glimpse of where your heart is already. So if we need to, to assess what are you naturally passionate about. I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer I'm passionate about Jesus. No, I, I, cool, that's nice, it's good. But honestly, you know, assess where your time goes and I think, honestly, the, the, the raw reality is follow the money. Because whatever we're passionate about, most of the time, our money follows it, right? I mean, you, you, we, we just end up following the money. This gives you an idea of what we treasure, of what we value. Today, I want to share with you a really awesome conversation which Jesus has with a lawyer. And this lawyer asks a million-dollar question which I am positive all of us have thought through this question in some shape or form. We have all said this question, either out loud or inside of us, so we can all relate to this question in which this lawyer is about to ask. So here's the conversation that St. Luke uh, records for us here. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, I want to pause for a second, but please, the, the gospel writers, through being convicted and inspired by the Holy Spirit, is so intentional of every word that's being used for them to write down life-giving words. So, so, so St. Luke is recording that the, the posture of this lawyer is that he's coming to test Jesus, but then he also comes with reverence for Jesus by saying, teacher, for us... Regardless if you're all into being a Jesus follower, regardless if you're all into being an Orthodox Christian, or you're a total skeptic and, you're, and you're, you have tons of questions, it's totally fine. You, we should learn something from this lawyer. He's coming, wanting to test Jesus, but he's not coming like ready to pick a fight. You know, you know those people that always start an argument because they always their point they feel is always right and they're just wasting your time because they don't want a conversation, they just want to prove that you're wrong. You know those type of people, right? This is not him, right? He's coming to test Jesus, and then, but he's also coming with obedience. He's coming as a student, and he says, teacher. So he's testing Jesus, but he's also coming with respect by calling him teacher. Wouldn't that be awesome if, if for all those people, and maybe it's you, maybe it's family and friends, who are kind of one foot into Christianity or total skeptics or drifted away or deconstructed their faith altogether, wouldn't you love for them to, to have a posture to test Jesus but also come with the mentality of a, of a student. I mean, imagine if that, if that was our posture for everything, right? So I, we should question things, even if you are an all-in Christian, an Orthodox Christian, I mean, even if you're not. I want you to, 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 to question yourself and test Jesus. Why is that the anchor of your identity? Or why are you here? So we should have that mentality. We should have that posture. And this says so much about Jesus too. Sorry, this is not the sermon, but I did, this is just such an awesome point that even Jesus, his body language of how pastoral he is, how fatherly he is, that he's able to create an environment, a spirit, for people to feel comfortable to come and ask him questions, right? Jesus is not keeping himself and keeping everyone six feet apart because he's the almighty God. And, and everyone's thinking like, well, I can't ask that question. That's a dumb question. I'm not going to ask that question. No. Jesus felt so comfortable, you would be able to relate. Because people, as our core value is here, our first core value at San Mark Church, people who are nothing like him gravitated toward him. People who are nothing like Jesus liked him. There was something of how he conducted himself, of how he portrayed himself, of how humble he was that he was able to relate to everyone to the point that this lawyer is able to come 
with confidence, with boldness and vulnerability, and with this student mentality to test Jesus, but also call him teacher. Again, I love that, but moving on. Here's the question he asked him. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life, right? Here, here our version of this question is, what do I need to do to get to heaven? How many times do I need to go to church if you're an Orthodox Christian? How many times do I need to go have communion? Do I, do I really need to go do the sacrament of confession? Do I really have to do this? Like, how much do I really need to give? Is that pre-tax or post-tax, right? So we, we, we try to, we want to have a list of what do I need to do in order to get to heaven, right? So we really want to break it further. We're really asking, what's the bare minimum I need to do to make sure I can get in through the back door and I locked in for eternity, right? Right? That's really what we're asking, right? So here, this man is asking this question in which we can all relate to. Moving forward, how did Jesus, so relationally driven, how did he respond to the humility and boldness of this man? He asked the question, Jesus, teacher, what do I need to do to guarantee me a spot in heaven? Jesus said, he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Because he knows that he's very wise. See, he knows the Torah. He knows the 634 laws of the Old Testament. Then it wasn't called Old Testament. It was the Torah. He knew all the Jewish laws and customs and traditions. He knew all that. So Jesus bounces. He answers the question with a question. So he responds in the most relationally driven way. So, by the way, when you guys get annoyed, when you text me a question, you know, and then I respond saying, well, I want to hear your thoughts, don't get annoyed. I'm just following what would Jesus do, right? This is what he does, right? Because it's the relationship, it's not about the content. Because you're texting me uh, this question. If you really want the question, you can Google it. But you're wanting to connect, which I love. And I want to continue the conversation, but I throw back the question to you. Anyway, so anyway, moving on, just exposing a secret. But that's what Jesus does, and that's what I like to do as well. So Jesus responds a question with a question, right? So Jesus is picking his brain. Well, you tell me, you know all the laws. How do you consolidate all of this? How do you digest all of this? Is it just for your head or is it something different? How, how, do, you, how do you analyze and assess and consolidate all these aspects of Judaism? This is what Jesus is asking, right? So he answered and said, okay, this is the lawyer saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. So he's quoting one law from, from the Torah. And in another quote, another uh, law from the Torah, your neighbor as yourself. So the guy was so smart. The lawyer was so smart. He was able to consolidate 600 plus laws and bring them down to two. And he says, love the Lord holistically with every fiber of your being. And all should, this same should be done to your neighbor. Amazing. How did Jesus respond? And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered rightly. So Jesus kind of pats him on the back. I'm proud of you. Awesome. You're, you're spot on. You gave the right answer. Good for you. You did an awesome job of able to consolidate all of that and capture the spirit of the law. And what did Jesus say after that? All right, cool. You have answered rightly. Now do this and you will live. Right? So Jesus is, is kind of trying to wrap up the conversation by giving him a verb. Okay, you know the answer. Now do it. Right? All of us know the right answer, right? We, we know what the right thing is to do. Sometimes we justify ourselves for us to do what we want to, but honestly, if we kind of remove all that filter, we know what's the right thing to do. There is this moral compass within us as far as what is the right thing. Yeah, of course, we suppress our guilt, you know, dismiss our shame, try to, you know, we, we kind of dance around it. I get it. We, we play all those mental games with ourselves. I get it. 
But honestly, we know the right thing, but we justify ourselves. But Jesus is saying, okay, you know the right thing. Don't overthink it. Now put it into action. So Jesus is not just wanting to give him a good Sunday school lesson and call it a day so he feels good. I know all the right answer. I'm a good boy. No. Jesus says, okay, you know the right thing. Now put it into action. Now this is the stress. Yes, that annoying person, this difficult situation, your manager, your past, this is where you need to apply it. How do you love the Lord holistically with every capacity of who you are and to also do the same with your neighbor? Yes, even those difficult people, you need to do the same. So Jesus says, do this. You answered rightly. Go do all right, as, as if Jesus is trying to wrap up the conversation. How did the lawyer respond? But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself. So he's wanting to find justification for his own logic, right? Don't you and I, we want to do what we want to do. So what do we do to justify what we want to do? We follow the right people on social media that confirm what we want to do. We surround ourselves with people that confirm what we want to do. And then the algorithms of, of how we search YouTube channels and podcasts and social media, they know, our, they know us better than we know ourselves. They just solidify confirmation bias. So the, the, the social media is going to continue to give you the thing that you want to see to confirm your own worldview or to confirm your actions or to confirm how you're managing your finances or to confirm what you already want to do. But the algorithm knows you better than you know yourself. So this man is wanting to justify himself and that what I'm doing is right, right? We, we can relate. We all do this. We talk to the right people. Come on, right? It's not a kid thing. It's an adult thing. We might portray a, a story. I don't want you to feel guilty. When people tell me a story like, well, he did this, she did this, she did this or whatever. Okay, cool. Can the other person come in and we can talk? Okay, but I tell you, whatever he says, I promise you, it's not the truth. Okay, wait, 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 we need two sides, right? So the person might paint the picture in a certain way to justify what they want, right? So the guy is looking for justification for his own actions. Moving on. He wants to justify himself. So he said to Jesus, can you define to me, like, what is the neighbor because if it's just like the person, like neighbor, neighbor, I'm good. But just, you know, just, just amuse me. Give me a definition to this. <laughs> so Jesus knows now he's getting a glimpse of what is in this lawyer's heart. He's wanting to get the answer that he wants to hear. He's wanting to justify himself, right? So this is an opportunity for Jesus to kind of, all right, obviously he didn't want to just, when I said go and do likewise, okay, didn't go that way, you're wanting to find justification. So Jesus now makes a hard right turn in the conversation. And using one of his most beautiful tactics as a communicator is using a parable, is using an analogy. The beautiful, rich thing about parables that Jesus uses is that you can find yourself in the narrative. You can find yourself in the parable. And you can be different people in the, in the parable, in the narrative, for us to relate to the different figures in the parable. And we can find life, we can find nourishment for our soul through the parable. So Jesus makes a hard right turn in the conversation. Again, he doesn't directly answer the question. Then Jesus answered and said, Once upon a time, he didn't say that, but once upon a time, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Right. So this is a 14, 15 mile uh, path, which his audience knew. The guy knew what's that path and how dangerous and dark it is. So he, they, he understood. So there's this 14, 15 mile path, walkway, that, th that this person was walking. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho and he fell among robbers, fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. All right? 
Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There is a cultural element to why Jesus is giving this parable, because priests then, Jewish priests, could not defile themselves. They're holier than thou, right? So they didn't want to defile themselves. So he saw the, 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 the priest saw him and just kind of went another way and pretended like he didn't really see him, you know, that move. And he just kind of went another way because he didn't want to inconvenience himself and he didn't want to defile himself by dealing with this man. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. So, okay, we have a priest, we have a Levite. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when the Samaritan man saw him, I want you to understand this cultural element as well. Jews and Samaritans, it's like water and oil. They do not mix at all, right? They, they always want to be separated from each other. They, they, this, is the, this is the cultural climate of the time. So this is why the tension, for those who are familiar with the dialogue which Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, that's why that woman in the beginning was so defensive and was telling Jesus, what on earth are you doing? I mean, you should know better. This is a no-no, right? So there's always this huge friction, this huge tension between Jews and Samaritans. So Jesus is saying the story, and a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, and I'm sure the lawyer, when he's hearing the story, he knows the Samaritan is also going to pass the other way, just as the priest did, just as the Levite did. Because he's a Samaritan, seeing a Jew, of course he's not going to help. And I'm sure Jesus paused in this part of the parable to capture the lawyer's attention. And then Jesus busts and, and rips open any, what, any stereotype. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. There was something tugging at the Samaritan's heart. It pulled at him. He didn't just say, oh, you know, poor guy, may God be with him, and, uh, you know, I'll pray for you. Right? But he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And I'm sure, actually, I'm not sure, I know, this lawyer was probably disgusted by this story and was so uncomfortable that the Samaritan would do all this to a Jewish man and go above and beyond. In every parable, we can find ourselves, just as I mentioned, in different situations. Can we find ourselves to be like the priest who kind of looked the other way? We'll get to that. And like the Levite, yeah, we'll get to that. Can we relate to, this, to the Good Samaritan, as, as this parable is known as? Yeah. I think we can relate to the Good Samaritan of having compassion, right? It's sad. It breaks my heart when I see this, right? It moves us, right? We might donate, might do something, right? It, it pulls at us. So I think we can relate to having compassion. But I also think we can also relate to ending it at just compassion and not leading to action. I think we can also relate to that element as well. But also in this parable, we are that wounded person. If we're honest with ourselves, 
and for, forget how we portray ourselves and everyone thinks our life is all put together and everything is great. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have wounds. We have wounds in our marriages. We have wounds from our past. We have wounds from struggles and habits that I told myself I wouldn't do this again. We have those wounds that are within us. And here is this good Samaritan coming to meet this man where he is. There is a, a, an early church father by the name of Origen. He was Egyptian. He was from Egypt, Origen. And he has this beautiful meditation to this parable. And Origen says this, that when the Good Samaritan poured oil and wine on the, the, the wounded person, this is the sacraments of the church, our wounds. Many of our sacraments of the church involve oil, the unction of the sick, marriage, wedding ceremony. Many sacraments involve oil. Many services involve oil. So what helps in healing the wounds of our sickness, of our sins, is wine, which projects communion, and oil. So it is the church that is there to heal us. Pouring oil and wine, and also this good Samaritan who is also reflecting Christ, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. My question to you, what's the meditation of what the inn represents? Anybody want to guess? Huh? Say it one more time. Uh, heaven? Okay, close. The church. Yeah, the church. That Jesus, the icon, who is the icon of this good Samaritan, poured oil and wine, giving him the sacraments of the church, the mysteries of the church, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Moving on. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, the, the good Samaritan, who's the icon of Christ, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. What the, Christ, the good Samaritan, is giving two denarii, basically giving uh, uh, money. So the two denarii reflects when we are in the inn, which is the church, and when we have poured on us oil and wine, and when we're taken care of in the church, Jesus, give, the, the, the Good Samaritan, is giving two denarii, which is a meditation, a reflection of the Old and the New Testament. That the church gives us scripture, the Old and New Testament, as, as being medicine. Gave them to the innkeeper and, 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 to, and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Who's the innkeeper? Those are the servants. Those are the volunteers. That's the clergy of the church. Jesus is telling the innkeeper, hey, I'm entrusting you to take care of those who come to the inn. You meet them where they are. Tell them they come as you are. But you need to make sure that this is the hospital for those who are sick. Take care of them. And then I will come again, which is the second coming of Jesus. And I will repay, will repay you. This is our eternal reward for our service. But th this is one meditation which I'm focusing on as far as seeing the Good Samaritan being Christ and us being the wounded person. But I want to focus on another aspect to this parable. That's why parables are so good, right? Because you can, you can take it from every angle. Moving on. Jesus asked the question to the, to, to, the, to the lawyer. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves, right? Such an elementary question, right? So I can imagine Jesus being like, mm, so tell me, who was the good person here? What did you learn from the story? So how did the man reply? How did the lawyer reply? I, and he said, he who showed mercy on him. I want you to pay attention. The guy, the Jewish guy, the lawyer, 
had this bitterness, this grudge against Samaritans that he could not even answer the question to Jesus by saying, this, the good Samaritan, the Samaritan man, he was the right person. He couldn't even say it. He said, that one who showed mercy, he's the one who did the right thing. He had this bitterness and grudge in his heart that he could not even say that it was the Samaritan who did him good. He couldn't even say that. He couldn't even say those words. And Jesus said to him, okay, go. I said it before 10 minutes ago. I give you a nice parable. I'm also telling you to go and do likewise. The state of your heart is revealed on how you view others. The state of our heart is reflected on how we view others. You know those people that you always label as being those people? You know those people that it doesn't matter what they do right. You're always going to look at them with a critical eye. They're always wrong regardless of what they do right. They, they, they can never win. You know those people? The state of your heart is revealed on how you view others. And the follow-up to that, how you view them will determine how you react. How you view them will determine how you react. The priest and the Levite had, I'm sure if you asked them, why didn't you help the man who was wounded? I'm sure they would give you the most beautiful spiritual answer of why they did not. And maybe it would convince us. For all of us, we have so many layers that justify what we want to do. But the state of our heart is revealed on how we view others. And not just view them, it also determines how we react to them. So what is in our heart? This is reflected on how we view others and how we respond to other people. The priest and the Levite, it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for them to stop their agenda. They had an appointment, I'm sure, and they were already late. It was uncomfortable for them to stop and for them to help the one who was wounded. It was uncomfortable for them. It was also definitely inconvenient, right? Don't we love to be comfortable? And don't we love convenience, right? So it was definitely the, the raw reality for both the priest and the Levite of why they did not help the man is because it was inconvenient. It was uncomfortable. Or maybe sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I'm not the right person. You know, I don't, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm not, like, I'm not a physician or anything. I don't know what, you know, I don't know how to help them. But I'll definitely pray for them. I'll definitely pray for them, right? And we kind of just ended at that. Or, we you know, we just put a good, nice social media post that I support and, you know, that's it. And that, that kind of justifies within me enough, right? And we just keep it at that, right? I'll pray for them. I'll re-like. I'll repost or whatever it's called. And that, and that, 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 that's it, right? Because I'm not, I'm not equipped. Yes, that might be true. But sometimes we hide behind that excuse. Something I heard many years ago that I try to live by. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. I, I was told this many years ago when I first went into priesthood because I struggled a lot with like, well, if I do this for one person, then everyone's going to expect that I do it for everyone else. If I go to this birthday party, then I have to also have to go to everyone else. You know, and I, and I kept on, and I just started, you know, playing these mind games with myself. Like, if I do it for one, I got to do it for all, and then somebody's going to be unfair, and then it's going to be an issue, and blah, 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 right? And I, and I played all those mental games with myself. No, and then I had to stop. I do for one what I wish I could do for all. 
So I, I mean, could Jesus, did Jesus wish, I, I'm sure he ascended and I'm sure there was thousands of other people saying, man, I've been waiting here for two and a half years and you still didn't come and heal me or my, my, my cousin's still sick. I'm sure people, but Jesus said, I'm doing for one what I intend to do for all. And obviously this is where we come in as being leaders of the church for, to continue the mission of Jesus, but that's a totally different topic, different series altogether. But we need to, like, we need to be honest with ourselves. Are, are these some of the masks that I put in front of me? Well, it's kind of uncomfortable for me to do this, or it's really inconvenient, right? We, actually, we wouldn't say it like that because that makes it seem very selfish. We wouldn't really say it like that. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we would, but we, that doesn't make it seem nice if we kind of say it. But it's uncomfortable. It is inconvenient. And then we justify ourselves saying, I'm not the right person for it. You might be right, but there is something called for us to do. What can transform the state of our heart? What can modify what is already settled within our heart is by our action of what we do. Yes, you're a compassionate people. I know that about you because everyone's compassionate. But does it lead to an action? Does it lead to you taking a bold step that makes you uncomfortable, that is inconvenient? You betcha. And, 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 and where you say, yeah, you are ill-equipped. I am ill-equipped. But this gives us the margin. This gives us the capacity for God to do his thing within us. The second I say that I'm equipped for this and I got this, then I've, I've, I've given no space for God to work. So you and I are ill-equipped. But we're also invited to a life where we're called to be comfortably uncomfortable. We are called to a life of inconvenience. But this is where life is. This is where peace is. This is the life that our Savior invites us to. So as Jesus kept on trying to tell this Jewish man, go, do, likewise. He still didn't get it, so Jesus gave him a parable. And he said at the end, who's the right person? He gave the right answer. He said, okay, go, do. So on that note, I want to stop talking because we can listen to sermons we can, you know, watch cute things to make us feel good all day. But unless we take the words of Jesus to go, then we're missing out on what God wants to do within our hearts. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, the thoughts of... of of honestly selfishness, of convenience, kind of wrap us and, and, and try to consume us. But Lord, we, we desire to have a heart like yours. The things that break your heart, Lord, this is what we desire for it to be heavy on our heart as well. Lord, give us the clarity to see the things that might be blocking us, the, the excuses or the justification that we give ourselves of why we should live a comfortable life or why that's somebody else's problem. But Lord, we want our heart to break like your heart breaks. And we want to take seriously the words that you told this lawyer, the words that you tell us for us to go and do likewise. This is how people will know if we are followers of you or if we're interested in you. Not by our words, but by our action. This is what will transform our heart. Lord, there's so many things within our heart from, from our past or issues or anxiety or, or just different burdens from different things. But Lord, we're, we're giving you our heart for you to renew us, to transform us, to soften our heart, for our heart to be your heart. 
that requires us to hear each other, that requires us to, to, to assess what are we passionate about. And this re requires us to see what are our actions. Do they reflect that? Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. We'll begin a new series next Sunday. Have a great week.